This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. That was the news, and this is Encounter with God. Don't forget that this Saturday morning we will be right here on air doing small group interactive Bible study. Uh, make sure you get ready to give us a call as we go through 20 Million Movement Bible study on Saturday morning uh, between 9.30 and 10.30. Liam, next clue for our quiz. Forgot to put my mic on. Herod ordered all boys this many years old and younger to be killed in accordance with what the Magi told him. So what age was that? If you know the answer and it matches up with all the other clues that we've given this morning, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or send us a text at 0491064669. And if you are the first person in with the correct answer, we will be sending you a copy of Experiencing the Power of the Word by David Marshall. There you go. Okay, so give us a call if you can uh, give the answer to that particular question. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Getting into our Bible study to, for today, we are looking at, uh, we're going to spend this uh, the next uh, three months looking at different ways to study and understand the Bible. Today we're looking at the Bible as history. Now this is something that fascinates me, particularly when you read ancient documents. The ancients did not record history. Even people like, um, and his name has just gone blanked out of my mind at the moment, but we'll be back in just a moment. But the Greek who is called the father of history is also called the father of lies. And um, I've got another Greek name in my is head. One of the, the right one won't come out. Is it one of the Greek gods? No. No, okay, never mind. I'm Greek historian. And so when you read his histories... Aristotle? Aristotle, um, not Aristotle. Oh, okay. um, You've got Xenophon. Xenophon's right up there as well. Uh, but these guys, you know, they did not record history. They, they wrote movie scripts. They wrote about victories, but they did not record history. If you go back further from them, uh, and, and these were the first guys to ever record defeats of their own people, of any kind, but, you know, strongly flavoured it, their direction, uh, in a way that, you know, would would suit their narrative. Yep. You know, you read read about the uh, the 300 at Thermopylae, which was a crushing defeat for the Greeks by the Persians, and it has always been passed down to us as being, you know, a heroic story. That's because we have the Greek version of it because the Persians didn't really bother writing much about it because they're like, yeah, we went to Thermopylae, we, we smashed the Spartans and killed their king. That's pretty much what they wrote. Uh, whereas the Greeks turned it into a heroic tragedy and wrote a movie script about it. There you go. Uh, in, in, in vivid colour compared to what had been done in the past. You know, the Assyrians and the Persians and the Babylonians, you know, they just wrote about victories and, and the Egyptians, you know, you've got... Um, You've, you've got famous pharaohs who fight these, you know, incredible battles and go back and carve on their temple walls about their great victories that they won. When you actually cross-reference the accounts, you find out that they were lucky to escape with their lives. Yeah. 
But they're not going to say that, and they're certainly not going to say that to posterity. They're going to be like, yeah, we went up there and we absolutely smashed the Assyrians and we did this and we did that and we did the other. And it's like, yeah, well, you actually were very, very lucky to get out of there alive. Um, and, you know, it's quite different. Reality is quite different from what is written down. This is where the Bible is very, very different. Mm. The ancients recorded victories. Yeah. The Bible records history. Mm. And when you come to the Bible, pretty much the very first story that you have is the story of a defeat. Yeah. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know. Gives a backstory for it and, and it, it the that's whole right. plot line. Your creation story, which you could say, well, that's a that's a victory story, but that's a backstory to the first great defeat. Yep. Um, the reason that that story is being told is so that we can talk about a defeat, a defeat of God, a defeat of God's people, a defeat of you know Adam and Eve, a defeat of humanity. It's a defeat. And then this is a theme that you're going to find that runs from one end of the Bible to the other. And it's a theme that really does focus on the weakness and the corruption of human nature. Mm. So your other histories are going to exalt human nature and they're going to teach you that, you know, God is within you. You need to get in touch with, uh, you know, you need to be true to yourself. Uh, we don't need to be true to ourselves. We need to be true to Jesus Christ. Um, but the Bible will teach you, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've, you've got to, the solution to life, to happiness, to harmony, the Bible will teach you is found outside of yourself in Jesus Christ. Outside of the Bible, you're going to find that the solution to all of those things is within yourself and within what you do as a human being, your actions as a human being. It, it does draw a very, very big contrast with every other ancient document and every other ancient religious document. So if you look at uh, Eastern religions, if you look at Buddhism or, or Hinduism, for example, that have come down to us in modern times, but if you particularly look back you know, at the ancient ones that no longer exist, you're going to find that these are cyclical religions. Mm. The Bible and the Abrahamic religions are linear religions. And so you're going to find that the Bible you know, begins with perfection, moves on to sin, finds the solution in Jesus Christ, the consummation of that in the second coming, and goes back to perfection again. Yep. It's this small dip into pain and suffering that the world, that the universe has to have so that it can never, ever have a, it again. A bit of reality. Yeah, well, a, 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 an alternative reality. Yeah. Because reality for the universe really is sinlessness or reality for us something that we can relate to yeah so the bible is going to tell the story that is real to us but it's going to tell it in a linear fashion you move from this point to this point you move from where the problem comes in to where the problem is solved and the bible story is the story of that whole process of how the problem is solved you look at other religions and you're going to find that it is cyclical so you start at this point and you cycle through and you're back again. And then you cycle through and you're back again. And everything in nature, you know, is seen to have this, you know, this life, death, birth cycle, etc., etc. And so the religions that were nature-based rather than God-based came to be cyclical religions rather than linear 
religions and as a cyclical religion, they have an environment in which sin and pain and suffering actually lasts for eternity. Mm. Whereas the Bible view is that there's going to be time when there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears, any of those kind of things. It's going to be gone forever. Um, sadly, a lot of paganism has crept into Christianity. Mm. And one of the areas in which it has crept into Christianity, of course, is the uh, doctrine of eternal hellfire. The Bible doesn't teach eternal hellfire. The Bible teaches hellfire. But the Bible says that you'll be turned to ash. Last time I checked ash, nobody was who'd been turned into ash was still alive. That's what the Bible says. And we could look at many passages on that. Malachi chapter 4 is, uh, just read the whole chapter, there's like, what, six verses in it? Uh, it's very, very clear on this subject. And so we have this cyclical view of eternal hellfire that has crept into Christianity, whereas if you choose not to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say, no, I don't want Jesus as my friend, then Jesus is going to set you on fire. You're going to burn, and you're going to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, eternally with no end. And, you know, every now and then you just sort of get turned over and roasted on the other side and then turn over and roasted on the next side. And that's how it's going to continue for you um, as somebody who chooses that you really don't want Jesus as your friend, according to you know the pagan traditions that have entered into Christianity, um, as, as you know, this is all as a result of pagan influence. Mm. So this is what we've got: we have a linear versus cyclical, and the Bible is linear. The Bible takes us from perfection to perfection. It takes the Bible takes us from paradise lost to paradise restored. We're going to look at some of the key moments within that as we work our way through this particular Bible study. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at this morning in particular the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because nothing more clearly illustrates the linear nature of how God is dealing with the sin problem and that it will be gone forever than the resurrection of Jesus. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so that was 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What have you got for us there, please, Liam? Uh, which verse? Uh, let's start in verse 3 to 5. Let's okay. look at Paul's testimony here in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Okay, so this is an interesting statement by Paul. Why why would we trust this statement right here? What evidence do we have within that passage that we should trust this statement? Uh, that people saw him. Okay, but the, but if I'm going to play the devil's adv- advocate here for a moment, I could say, yes, he is saying that uh, there were eyewitnesses, but why would we believe those eyewitnesses? Why would we believe his account that those eyewitnesses were actually a real thing? I mean, he's writing about it. He's writing about it, you know, to the city of Corinth. He could be in any part of the world. He could be vastly separated from those people at this particular time. He he makes a statement here 
within this passage that gives authenticity to it. The scriptures said it would happen. Yeah, and other people are going to say, yeah, but we have our own scriptures. I'm playing the devil's advocate here. I'll give you a hard time. Uh, and so, you know, you, you, your Buddhists will say, well, we've got our scriptures. Your Hindus would say the same. Uh, the Muslims would say we've got the Quran. There's something here that gives this a ring of authenticity. Why would we believe the fact that he is claiming there are eyewitnesses? If you were somebody who was alive at this particular time and you were skeptical but you were motivated to find out whether this is true or not, there's something right here within the passage. Which bit? Okay, so here's what you're going to find. The Bible says, or Paul says, the majority of whom are still alive to this day. So here's the thing. If you are going to create a legend... You do not create a legend within the lifetime of the people who are a part of that legend. Yeah. You can't do that. That's impossible. Because if it's just myth, well, then, you know, you've got all these people who are actually eyewitnesses against that myth. Mm. Paul here is written, writing within a very short period after the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 40 years at the very, very most, most likely, you know, 20 years from the, um, the time that Jesus was resurrected. Yep. And he makes this statement. He's like, there's all these eyewitnesses, the majority of whom are still alive. In other words, what he's doing is he's throwing out there the challenge. If you don't believe me, if you think this is a legend or a myth that I'm speaking about, then you can go and personally interview all, all of these, these eyewitnesses, more than 500 of them, and only a few of them have passed away. So there's maybe, you know, at the very least, there's going to be 450 of them. That's a lot of eyewitnesses who are going to give you corroborating evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. And this becomes really important because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to this concept that the Bible is presenting a linear message of salvation because Jesus is at the very center of that uh, linear message the Bible takes you from sin to the solution to sin which is the death of Jesus Christ which is meaningless without the resurrection of Jesus Christ mm. and so the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes incredibly important to all of us Romans chapter 8 and verse well actually let's let's before we go there let's uh, while we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 go down to verse 51 to 55 because Paul begins this is sort of like a little sermon with a sermon. It's uh, a section within the book of uh, 1 Corinthians that takes you through to the end of the book. And he begins by talking about the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. How does he end this section? Okay, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal body bodies then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die this scripture will also be fulfilled death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting Okay, so the Bible moves us right the way through. Paul moves us right the way through from the uh, from the uh, 
from the resurrection of Jesus, from the crucifixion of Jesus, right through the way through to the second coming of Jesus, and tells this whole story of you know paradise lost to paradise restored. Really, that's what we're dealing with is the, is the is the story of the Bible. Now, moving back to the resurrection, I think we need to spend a little bit of time on this. Why do we as Christians believe in the resurrection? I mean, Paul gives this statement right here, and it certainly would be a very, very brave statement to make if the resurrection had not happened because it could be very, very easily disproved. Mm. All you had to do at that time was to go to Palestine yeah. and to start tracing through every single person who claimed to be an eyewitness of Jesus and just interview them, and sooner or later you would know whether this was true or not. Let, yeah. Let's say there's 450 that are still alive, and, and that's a conservative estimate. But let's say that there's 450 out of the original 500 that are still alive. Uh, by the time you get finished interviewing them, you're going to know whether this is a real thing or not. Yeah. What other evidences do we have that this was actually a real event? You know, we often talk about the empty tomb of Jesus. So every other great religious leader has a tomb. Jesus has an empty one. Mm. There's no one there. What other evidences from history do you think we might have that that's an actual real event? Or do we just take it on faith? You know, do we believe it because we believe it because we believe it because we believe it? Well, I, it, the, the resurrection of Jesus, it, it sort of, if Jesus hadn't have died, it would have proved that Jesus is human. Yeah, that's right. Which it did. It proved that Jesus is human. Jesus dying proved that he was human. Yes. But him raising from the dead proved that he was also God. That's right. And I th- I don't... Th- what what point is there of a Messiah that isn't God? Th- yeah, none. Yeah, that, that isn't the Messiah. Which raises an interesting point as far as evidence for the resurrection goes because really the issue that comes out of that is the, is the evidence from cause and effect. Mm. Uh, in this case, Christianity is the effect. Yep. Christianity is the world's largest religion. Christianity, within 300 years, was the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. Uh, the ancient mystery religions of Egypt and Greece and you know France and Scandinavia, within you know 500 years, had vanished entirely. The Middle East, mm. you know, gone. They just ceased to exist as Christianity took over, and that is the effect. That's a massive effect. That's an effect that is just off the charts. Whenever you have an effect, there is a cause. Yeah. And you have to find out what that cause is. You have to have something of incredible magnitude to create an effect that is that large. No other religious leader has created an effect that, that, that is that big. Mm. And in that short of a space of time. Mm. Um, there have certainly been some very influential religious leaders, you know, Confucius and Buddha and so forth, but no other religion can match the rise and the spread and the influence of Christianity. Mm. So if you are going to have an effect that is that big, you have to have a monumental cause. Mm. And one Jewish carpenter preaching for three and a half years is just not a big enough cause yeah. to explain it. The resurrection, on the other hand, yeah, that's kind of rare. 
that's something that you don't see happening on a regular basis. That is something that I'll probably uh, hazard a guess that you've never seen take place. I certainly have not seen it not, take place. Not particularly, no. And that is a cause that is big enough to create an effect as big as Christianity. Yeah. So that's that's that's, that's definitely a line of uh, of evidence there that is very much worth uh, pursuing in relationship to the reality of the coming of Jesus and the fact that he gave his life for us and that this was central to his plan for dealing with the problem of sin. We're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more. There's some other great things out there. If you want to give us uh, chip in with your thoughts, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669. This is Red Mountain Music. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they nailed him? Sometimes I feel like shouting glory Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they laid him in a tomb? Welcome back, everybody. We've been talking about the resurrection of Jesus as part of the linear story of paradise lost to paradise restored that the Bible gives, which is different from the cyclical view that other uh, major world, world religions follow, where you simply cycle through the same kind of thing for the rest of eternity, good, bad, cycle, um, etc. Uh, we were talking about the resurrection a little bit earlier and Paul's testimony in relationship to the resurrection and how he carries that testimony through to the second coming of Jesus, which, of course, is where Paradise Restored comes in. But that resurrection does give us a glimpse, gives a small glimpse of what it is, uh, what, what the um, 
of, of the fact that we can trust what the Bible says in relationship to the second coming of Jesus. Okay, so this is something else that's interesting. We were talking about the Bible as history before and how that all ancient documents outside of the Bible, whether they are historical or religious, record victories. They don't record history. There's no record of history from the ancient world. There is just a record of victories. Herodotus was the guy I was looking for. I had Hippocrates stuck in my head, and I knew that was wrong. Herodotus was the father of history, otherwise known as the father of lies, because he was kind of a movie script writer rather than a historian. Yeah. Anyway, we find that um, coming back to the story of the empty tomb, the first account of the resurrection and the empty tomb of Jesus comes from probably Mark's gospel. Mm. And then you have it in the other gospels as well. And what's significant about the story is its simplicity. And so when you read, um, if you read a myth, you know, a legend, for instance. These are always going to be quite complex and detailed, and you're going to have, you know, the wild and the weird and the wacky that is going to, you know, read read the Odyssey or something like that, and you've got, you know, one-headed, one-eyed monsters yeah. and, you know, all kinds of all kinds of strange and weird things that are happening, and that's because this is a myth. It is a legend. Read any legend, you're going to have the same kind of... Uh, issues that are coming on down through that particular legend. When you read the story of the resurrection of Jesus, mm. it's very simple, it's very factual, and it lacks legendary development and embellishment. So a lot of legends have a basis somewhere in history. Mm. But somebody's taken a story and they've just sort of added to it and then they've you know, repeated that story. It's been passed down orally for several generations, typically, um, by the time that, you know, by storytellers. And storytellers, you know, the art of story- storytelling, you know, it's a true science. Yeah, yeah. And when you're telling story, you have to, telling a story, you, you're painting a, a word picture in people's minds. Mm. As you're painting that word picture in people's minds, when you tell the story and you're building that word picture, there are going to be elements that you're going to add to it to make it a picture. The next time it is told by, say, for instance, you know, if you're the if you're the campfire storyteller and your son takes over, he's going to add his flavour to it. The neighbouring tribe's going to hear it from you, from you and they're going to add their flavour to it. And within a very short space of time, you have this whole legendary development, you have all of these embellishments that are coming in from each different storyteller, and that's going to happen before the first time it actually gets written down. Mm. Once it's written down, it is codified to a certain extent because when it gets written again and 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 again, once again it's going to be embellished, but at a slower pace. And so we find this with all ancient stories. We find huge discrepancies you know, in in one person's version of a legend compared to, you know, somebody's somebody else's version of exactly the same legend. Yeah. And when you read the Bible, there is no great discrepancies. There is no legendary development. There is no embellishment. It's a very simple story. Um, it's a story that is told in a historical manner. 
and it is codified, as in written down and placed in a codified form, in the lifetime of the people who were actually there and saw it take place. It's codified in the lifetime of the people who were eyewitnesses of the event. And if you, you know, if Dr. Luke, you know, who's, who's writing about it some years later, if he writes it down wrong, there's going to be people there that are going to correct him. There's likely probably, you know, four or five hundred people around the place that can correct him and say, no, you've written it down wrong. It didn't happen like that. This is how it happened. And, you know, Dr. Luke specifically um, states how he acted as an investigative journalist to mm. actually find out the truth of everything that he records in his particular gospel. And so the simplicity of it adds credibility yeah. to the story of the resurrection of Jesus. One of the other things that adds a tremendous amount of credibility to the story of Jesus is who it was that found that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that the tomb was empty. Remember who that was? The 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 Marys. Yes, it was the women. The women, yeah. Okay. Any thoughts on why that might be a source of credibility for the story? Almost. I, I, I think it's almost because maybe back then it wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the right answer right there. Because back then, in a court of law, if you're in a court of law, um, a woman's testimony could not could never be accepted in a court of law. Yeah. Uh, if you had somebody who committed murder and it was witnessed by a hundred women, yeah, and no men, then you had no eyewitnesses. Yeah. And so this is credibility from embarrassment, basically. Mm. There is no way in a million years if you were creating a legend. Would you have women being the first people to be eyewitnesses of what took place? Yeah. The only way that you would ever admit to such a thing is if that thing actually happened, if it actually took place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's credibility. It is evidence for from embarrassment. Okay. Some of the uh, other evidences that we have. Let's 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 think about the tomb that was empty. What did the disciples believe about the tomb? Did the disciples believe the tomb was empty? Yes. Yes, because they believed Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Yep. Uh, What about the enemies of Jesus? Did they believe the tomb was empty? Uh, Yeah, they did. They did because they paid the soldiers a large amount of money to spread a rumor that the body had been stolen. Yeah which is a very plain admission, the body is not there. Yeah. So both those who believe in Jesus Christ and his most avowed enemies... Yeah. They all claimed that they the... They all claimed the tomb is empty. Yeah. They had just to have different stories as to how it ended up being empty, and but they all the claimed that it was empty. Yeah. And it's a bit of a stretch to imagine that, you know, you've got a watch, which is 100 men, um, of 100 soldiers... You know, that is all asleep and mm. the disciples get past all of them and their lives are on the line the next day if they sleep on duty. Yeah. You know, Roman soldiers didn't sleep on duty. Yeah. They'd be executed the next day if they did and all of them slept and the disciples were that good that they could sneak past. You know, I challenge anybody to roll back a massive stone and cart off a body in the middle of the night 
without waking somebody up. That's just too much of a stretch by a very, very uh, long distance. Anyway, we're going to listen to the story of Jesus, uh, this time in song with Alan Jackson bringing us I Love to Tell the Story. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story because I It satisfies my longings As nothing else can do I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and his love I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest and when it sings team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A note under the door or a letter in the mailbox works too if you want to maintain your distance. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio.
Just to rest in your arms Close enough to hear your heart Just to kneel at your feet Where everything fades away And I sing, Jesus, Jesus, take me over now Fears melt away. Lost within your embrace, I'm pouring out all my adoration. Jesus, Jesus, take me over now. I surrender.
Welcome back, guys. That was uh, Christy Knuckles uh, with Take Me Over. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We're about to... Uh, we haven't had an answer for our quiz yet, have we? We have not. Has your mum answered it yet? She did. She did, okay. She did answer good, it. Good. She answered it after the first clue. First clue, well done. I said second clue, but it was actually well after the, the first clue. Mom. I forgot to check the timestamp on the message. But, uh, yeah, the next clue is the number of New Testament epistles addressed to the church in Corinth. So how many? Okay, all right, all right. I'm just, I'm not even going to, this is like 1-800-324-843. Wait, what's the, um, one, two, three, four, five, what was the sixth number in that, that phone number? 1-800-324-843. Yep. Oh, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the text number if you can answer. We've got a very important uh, question of the day that has come Indeed. through. What is that question? All right, so. What is your opinion or what is the, the, the Adventist belief about the death penalty or corporal punishment? Okay. My opinion is irrelevant. Yep. The Adventist belief is irrelevant. Or the, what does the Bible say about corporal exactly. punishment? Exactly. The Bible is the, Bible the only thing that is relevant punishment? in this particular case. Um, and in all cases, the Bible is the only thing that is relevant. So let's have what the Bible says. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. Yes. Plain and simple. Yes. End of story. Yes. We don't need to go further than that. We touched on this yesterday with Euthanasia. We did touch on it yesterday with Euthanasia. this is a bit bit different. But this is different. And the reason that it's different is because the death penalty existed in ancient Israel. Yeah. So how can you have thou shalt not kill and a death penalty operating at the same time? A lot of people ask that question. They say, well, the Bible contradicts itself right here. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible in absolutely no way, shape or form contradicts itself on this particular point. It, it mentions that it happened. Yes. But it. And God commanded it to happen. It was part of the laws of the theocracy of ancient Israel, was the death penalty. Yes. Okay, so how do you actually, how do you actually justify these two? Okay, it's very simple. Um, you've got to look at the form of government. The form of government in ancient Israel, beginning in the time of Moses and extending through until the Babylonian captivity, was a theocracy. Yep. And a theocracy is the only form of government where you can have a death penalty. And basically it works like this. As human beings, we never have the right to take another person's life because when you take another person's life, you close their probation. Now, that's a big theological term that simply means you close off their opportunity of ever being saved. Um, you, you've, you've shut that for them. Now, if, if they're lost, of course. And so we don't have that right because we can't read a person's heart, we can't read their mind to understand, you know, whether it's appropriate for their probation to close at this particular point or not. So a human being can never take another human being's life because that is the result of what will happen. However, God can take another person's life because God can read our heart and God can decide whether a person has... Uh, you know, committed the unpardonable sin or whether not. Whether they're guilty or not guilty. That, that's right. God can read a person's heart and see whether they are eternally lost and is able to take their life or not. Mm. Now, God, 
in the Bible has a long record of you know taking people's lives in many different ways. You've got the story of um, Korodathan and Abiram where God causes the ground to open up and swallow them. Mm. He uses an earthquake in that case. Uh, you've got the story of uh, Elijah who's sitting on a mountaintop and 150 men come to arrest him and God pours down fire on them. Yes. So there are a number of different ways that God uses to take other people's lives. Another example would be where God sends Saul to go and to wipe out the Amalekites, the mm. Amalekite genocide. And once again, it is God doing this, but God is working through humans. Yes. But it is God's choice, it is God's call, it is God's decision. And under a theocracy, this is why you can have a death penalty, because under a theocracy you can have a situation where no mistake is ever made, either in relationship to a person's guilt or in a relationship to whether they will be saved or lost by taking their life. Yeah. So a theocracy can have a death penalty. It is the only form of government that can have a death penalty. Outside of the theocracy, there is no opportunity for a death penalty. And so we don't live under a theocracy. We live under a democracy. Yes. We have a secular government, which is separated from the church. And under a democracy, and you know, the other go- there's there's no theocracy that exists in our world right now. Yeah, hasn't existed since the Babylonian invasion, and so um, death penalties are not the way to go. This is Randy Travis with Here I Am to Worship. Step down into darkness Open my eyes and let me see Beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you Here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy Altogether wonderful to me King of all days, so highly exalted Glorious in heaven above Humbly you came to the earth you created All for love's sake became poor Here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God You're all to Together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. 
Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say. Welcome back, everybody. That was Randy Travis with Here I Am to Worship. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. And a quick reminder, this Saturday, and we're going to keep reminding about this, this Saturday between 9.30 and 10.30, interactive callback, talkback, Bible study happening right here as a part of your weekend worship service program right here on Faith FM. All you've got to do is just... uh, Tune into the signal. Radio has never been more relevant than it is in our world right now. In the history of the world, radio has never been more relevant than it is right now. And so we're excited to be a part of that. We're going to bring you an interactive Bible study. You can call in. You can be part of the uh, Bible study, small group Bible study happening on Saturday morning. So please get ready to give us a call, 1-800-324-843. And tell your friends and your family, particularly the elderly, make sure they've got a good signal, make sure they've got the app, or go to faithfm.com.au and press play. What's our free giveaway, Liam? Free giveaway this morning is A Bridge Across Time by Dan Apple. So if you would like to get a copy of that, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you are the first person through just requesting that book, we will send it away. Okay, so that is A Bridge Through Time by Dan Apple. So give us a call right now. And, of course, as you go through your day-to-day and you deal with the quarantine, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. Tempted 
Radio, bringing you peace, hope and certainty in uncertain times. Oh. 